City. Portland. Blazers Nation. This is Jack Winter, your Portland Trailblazers beat writer for Clutch Points, and this is Talking Trailblazers. We are back this week, and thankfully we will have Justice back on the show. We haven't talked with him in a couple weeks. It would be very good to get him back here right after this brief intro, but just quick want to give you a rundown of quickly want to give you a rundown of what we're going to talk about this week. First, it's going to be the Blazers potential sale. Are they for sale? Who knows? You'll have to ask Paul Allen's trust for the official word. Uh, but obviously the reporting indicates, just like it has for months, that the Blazers are likely to be sold and really likelier than ever after getting a $2 billion offer from Nike CEO Phil Knight and a Los Angeles Dodgers minority owner. We will discuss that. We will also discuss some new trade targets for the Blazers. They've been mentioned um, as in the running for some big, big names um, who Joe Cronin will potentially try to lure to Portland um, with that number seven pick in the draft and perhaps more. Justice and I will go over that, our favorite trade targets. And then, of course, the finals are going on. So we are going to discuss the NBA finals, the Boston Celtics getting a 116-100 victory over the Golden State Warriors to take a 2-1 lead in that awesome series uh, that was last night. We were recording this on a Thursday. So yeah, we are excited to be back here talking Trailblazers. We're just going to take a very, very quick break and bring Justice right back in. Thanks for listening. All right, we are back with talking Trailblazers and thank goodness that means Justice is too. How we doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. Uh, it's been about, I think, three weeks. You said earlier off mic, like I said, I'm, I think I was dealing with some uh, separation anxiety. You know, I, I really miss my guy. So, uh, you know, reunited and it feels so good. It sure does. It sure does. Though I kind of got my fill of you last night, honestly, because I was I was watching the game. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I was watching it on tape delay because I'm an old man. That's what I like to do. Of course. Um, but for some reason, I opened Twitter during like a during like a break in the action or something. And thank God oh, I didn't boy. see any tweets about the result of the game. But a tweet I did see was yours. <laughs> And it was about Paul Pierce. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I know exactly what tweet you're talking about okay. uh, because you definitely hit it with a like or a favorite, which means, okay, Jack is awake and, you know, <laughs> he's living and breathing and he's, he's, he's scrolling on the timeline. So as soon as I saw that, I laughed and I almost called you, but I was like, you know what? He might be in his bathrobe right now, so <laughs> I'll relax. But yes, that was me. <laughs> All right, so do you, do you want to share it for our listeners on air? I, you want me to? Yeah, jokingly, I had said that, you know, Paul Pierce is kind of built more like uh, Medea uh, for those that, uh, you know, partake in, in movies and cinema. Uh, yeah, Paul Pierce, last, last night, uh, Game 3, was that, was, that, was that what it was last night? Game 3, yeah. Game 3, Paul Pierce in the building, of course, had his big Celtics letterman jacket on and... Uh, you know, he's put on a few pounds since retirement and uh it looks like he's having a good time. Yeah, yeah, he's having a good time, eating a lot of good steaks, I'm sure, a lot of carbs and uh you can just really tell uh in his uh you know, choices of outfit there. So He's got that um, physique. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, broad shoulders and you know, kind of got the somewhat of a beer belly going on there. So I, you know, had to poke a little fun. That's it. That's all. Now, he wasn't wearing the typical Medea dress, but what he was wearing is a uh, NBA, like, top 75 jacket or whatever. Right. The top 75 players or whatever earlier yes. this season. And I was just reminded how ridiculous it is that a guy like Paul Pierce, who, to be clear, like, you know, I, Paul Pierce is one of my favorite basketball players of all time. If I'm, like, talking about myself as a fan, I went to Kansas. I grew up in Kansas City. My entire family went to Kansas. I was watching him when I was very, very young. Um, and then when he won that title with KG in 2008, 
Um, you know, I was just thrilled because KG is actually my all-time favorite player. So that was amazing. Mm-hmm. But I do feel comfortable saying the fact that a guy like Paul Pierce made the top 75 list ahead of Dwight Howard just still irks me. <laughs> even six months later, however many months later, I guess that was announced in February. Every month feels like two months these days. Um, so yeah, it's just been a few months, but my God, I just, what, what, what the uh, selection committee decided to do to Dwight Howard, um, really just a shame. And, you know, I think we know why, just because he's never been liked, um, to pretty much any team he's ever been on, at least, <laughs> at least since early in his career. So I don't know. I was just, uh, I was just reminded of that. I'm not going to say anything negative about Damian Lillard making the top 75 team. I think we may have some listeners who might, who might not be okay with that. Definitely. Um, but let's just say that I do think Dwight Howard deserves to be on it. And uh, yeah, Paul Pierce came up, so I just wanted to wanted to get that on the air here. For the for the record, I'm not mad at your, you know, Dwight Howard should be top 75 take because I agree with that. Uh, he definitely had some great years in Orlando. I mean, but he was arguably the best player in the world. Um, oh yeah, like, he was definitely the best center for oh, a while. Easily, 2009, 2010, like arguably the best player in the world. I think he finished second in MVP voting in 2009, maybe. Exactly. Um, he's just he's just an absolute force. Three-time Defensive Player of the Year. Obviously, was never a great, super efficient post player. Never had great footwork or anything like that. Um, but Dwight Howard really pioneered the modern game. And so did those. Uh, so did those Orlando Magic teams. That seems kind of odd for me to say, but by that I just mean um, those Orlando Magic teams ran four out, one in, with Dwight Howard as the one in, of course, and mm-hmm. this ran pick and roll over and over and over, taking advantage of Dwight Howard's threat as a dive man, and then on the other end. Um, taking advantage of his threat as a dive man, and then surrounding him with shooters, of course, Lewis, Turkaloo, Jameer Nelson, and those guys. Jameer Nelson. Um, and yep. on the other end, they just, like Stan Van Gundy just sent everything to the paint, to, right to Dwight Howard. They were not worried about getting beat off the dribble because they had one of the best rim protectors of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, right, you know, right down there to clean everything up. So Dwight Howard, uh, you know, obviously his career is not turned out the way anyone expected based on his first four or five years, what he was doing mm-hmm. in 2009, 2010, 2011. Um, but, you know, uh, I certainly think he deserves to be on that top 75 team. And really, when we talk about the history of the league, I think it's just a shame that he's going to be overlooked because, uh, you know, we talk about guys like Steph Curry, who's changed the game. LeBron, obviously, mm-hmm. changed the game. Um, one-on-one scores like Kobe and Mike, these guys. Um, Steve Nash, even, you'll, you'll hear that about. But you won't hear that mm-hmm. about Dwight Howard, and I just think that's a shame. And like I said, I'm not opposed, because I, I, I hadn't finished my point yet. I'm not opposed to Dwight Howard, you know, uh, yeah, I do agree that he should have been on that list. But even before I get to Dwight, I'm more sick that Tracy McGrady didn't get on the top 75 list or in that group than Dwight or Bernard King, uh, for that matter. Uh, so, you know, some of the kids listening, they might have to do their Googles and go back and take a look at, you know, Bernard King's uh, highlight tape or whatever. But T Mac, let's not act like you're an old enough head to have watched Bernard King. And just and just so our listeners know, neither am I. Um, but I, but I totally, totally, totally agree with you on T Mac. Um, I certainly think he was a better player than Paul Pierce. Uh, just of course, just one for one. Like imagine if those, imagine if that Celtics team had, had Tracy McGrady instead of Paul Pierce on it. If it was KG, Tracy McGrady, Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo, Kendrick Perkins, those guys. Right. Um, I'd imagine that team would have. Uh, I don't know if I want to say a lot better because Paul Pierce again was a great player, a borderline top ten guy there for a long time. Hmm. Um, but Tracy McGrady was a top five player in the world uh, there at a certain time right after he got to Orlando and then for uh, for two or three years. And then even when he was healthy with Houston, uh, the problem, problem, of course, was his health. But but I totally agree with you, especially Tracy McGrady's ceiling um, definitely higher than Paul Pierce's. 
Yeah, exactly. So I just had to add that in there real quick that I'm with you on Dwight, but even before we get to Dwight, I'm looking at T-Mac like, are you serious? So, you know, anyway, I digress. Uh, yeah, I do too, because we need to get to Blazers talk. And what we're going to start with today is the potential sale of the Blazers. Some big news earlier this week came down. I believe it was originally reported by ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, and he reported that Nike CEO Phil Knight and LA Dodgers my, minority owner Alex Smolenski made a $2 billion offer to buy the team. Um, obviously, Jody Allen is currently the chairman of the Blazers, but the team is actually owned by the late Paul Allen's trust. And uh, John Canzano, formerly of the Oregonian, and now he, I believe, runs his own uh, independent newsletter. He had reported um, kind of just before news of the offer from Knight's group came down that the Blazers would indeed eventually have to sell the team. That in Paul Allen's trust, it says that shortly after his death, um, that his major assets, including the Blazers and the Seahawks, would have to be liquidated. So it's only a matter of time um, until the Blazers hmm. are sold. And yet... Um, when news of that uh, news of Knight's offer came in, the Blazers responded to it officially, saying, "We are not for sale." Actually, um, they, <laughs> you know, they did acknowledge that uh, they had received an offer from Knight, and then also some um, some other people around the league, and that Knight had even been in conversations with people around the league um, about buying the Blazers. So the Blazers are saying they aren't for sale. It's uh, it's really just semantics at this point. What it seems like is about to happen now is a not necessarily a public bidding war, but a bidding war of sorts uh, for the Blazers before Jody Allen and the Paul Allen Trust decide who they want to spell the team to. Mm-hmm. And I must say, I am not opposed to hearing this news because no. uh, as many of us are, uh, probably big Nike fans. I mean, they're pretty universal. So uh, always been a fan of Nike, been a fan of Phil Knight um, and that whole camp. And then, of course, you know, I'm born and raised in, in California, so I've been a Dodger fan my entire life. So I'm not mad at hearing the, the Dodgers in this mix, of course, as we're talking about, you know, uh, their their ownership and front office uh, folk there. I'm not opposed to this at all. So if it happens, I'm happy. If it doesn't, you know, it is what it is. But I'd like to see it happen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's there have been murmurs, rumors, whispers, whatever you want to call it, for the last six months, um, especially over the last six months, but really since Paul Allen's passing in 2018, that the team would eventually be sold. Um, and honestly, I... Like in terms of realistic people who could buy the team, I it's tough to it's tough to think of anyone better uh, for this specific franchise than Phil Knight. He's obviously born in Portland, went to the University of Oregon, and he's proven with his uh, support of the University of Oregon football team that his specific interest in fandom can make a major difference in terms of that program's quality. Um, you know, you probably if if this sale went through, you'd probably see the Blazers with some special uniforms. Uh, you know, Nike they'd just be inundated with Nike. Um, you know, the Blazers would really become Nike's team um, mm -hmm. in a way, which would obviously make them a lot more popular and potentially um, even, it seems a little naive to say this, but potentially attract more free agents to Portland or at least give players the idea of actually wanting to sign or get traded to Portland. Um, do you agree with that? You know, I was just thinking about that, that uh, there is kind of like a, uh, a dangling carrot there because we know a lot of NBA players are either endorsed or have some type of deal or are signed with Nike. So they do have to go to the campus um, in Beaverton, you know, once right. a year or however many times they come out to visit. Funny enough, as a sidebar, Zion was just out here, what was it, uh, a few months ago when he was kind of rehabbing that uh, that injury and, uh, you know, spending time at the Nike campus and headquarters in Beaverton. So I think that actually would be kind of interesting to see – 
what happens if this does go through with all of the you know great top tier NBA players that are endorsed by Nike? Uh, mm-hmm. Would that make them kind of want to be uh, you know closer to the their business that they do uh, with the Swoosh brand? Yeah, let's just say it couldn't hurt at the very least. Right, right. right of course, if, not. if the players were owned by the CEO of Nike, um, right, and especially because I think the conventional wisdom suggests that. Uh, that Phil Knight would be willing to spend on this team in a way that Jody Allen hasn't shown any interest in doing. Um, right. And that's really the most important thing, that Phil Knight would commit, um, would, let's hope, let's keep our fingers crossed that if the sale goes through, that he would commit to paying the luxury tax for a great team. Um, and under Jody Allen, he's kind of more of a hands-off owner. And again, she inherited inherited this team from her brother. Um, you know, we, we know that she's not taking a super, super hands-on role and we could expect the opposite from Phil Knight, especially in terms of spending. And that's what's really exciting about this to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel the same way. I mean, I feel like Nike for years, I think this is their 50th anniversary this year, matter of fact, um, for years, uh, their marketing has always been off the charts. So I can only imagine, you know, what type of ideas and concepts they might be able to bring to Mm -hmm. uh, the Blazers and just with the talent on that team. And the only funny thing that would just kind of be like, oh, that's, you know, that's... uh, a weird coincidence is uh, Dame being an Adidas athlete, and uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that that would be interesting uh, to see what would happen uh, in that scenario because I don't think he'd be he'd be leaving uh, Adidas anytime soon. But uh, you know, I guess I guess who knows? I, I'm not opposed to it, and I definitely think we'd see some changes just as far as the ownership uh, being more hands on, um, mm-hmm. you know, more interactive with the fan base and the players and. You know the same type of relationship that we see that Nike has with Oregon and exactly. you know, those athletes and the uniforms and jerseys and footwear. I just think uh, that could definitely be brought to uh, to a team like uh, the Blazers, especially being you know it's a hometown uh, kind of connection thing there. No, I do just want to mention one thing, and it may rub some of our listeners a little wrong, honestly, oh but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, Nike has obviously positioned itself as a progressive brand, as a liberal brand. They're, they go out of their way to support Colin Kaepernick, for instance. Uh, they've spoken out about trans rights. Uh, they've spoken out about Black Lives Matter, all the stuff that makes really the people of Portland, which is a really liberal city, progressive city, you know, makes them want to believe in Nike. But I do want to say, Phil Knight, he's a billionaire. He's mm-hmm. unfortunately given approximately $2 million to elect more Republicans to the Oregon legislature and also to support the independent gubernatorial candidacy of Betsy Johnson. Oh. Let's be honest, she rubs elbows with the far right. She doesn't champion gun control and doesn't prioritize human rights um, and doesn't prioritize getting anything done on climate change. So I just want to mention that we certainly don't have to talk about it a lot. <laughs> um, but, it's, but it's not like Phil Knight is some progressive billionaire, some progressive savior no, um, no. of the Blazers. That's just not what he is. He's not uh, Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos's ex-wife, who's giving away all this money to, you know, uh, to causes that people like you and me could really agree with. Uh, or, of course, for Mackenzie Scott, the uh, or I just said Mackenzie Scott, Abigail Disney, um, mm-hmm. the, the Disney era. She's doing that type of thing too. Phil Knight is not doing that. Of course, I wish no. he would, um, but it just bears mentioning here. Just uh, given the uh, demographics of Portland in terms of their politics, in terms of its politics, and then um, just would just be easy to mistake Phil Knight because of what he's done with Nike, because of what Nike has done as that type of guy, but he's really not. So I just wanted to mention that before we move on here. 
And I love that you mentioned that because uh, for the folks listening at home or in traffic or on their flight, wherever they are tuning in, um, they're able to realize that we're more than just basketball heads. Uh, we're more than just uh, fans of the round ball. But, you know, we have some some depth to us. We're not, uh, you know, simpletons that just watch every every game that comes on. So kudos to you, Jack. Wow. Okay, I'll, I'll take those kudos, though. I will say sometimes what I feel a little simpleton about or what makes me feel like a simpleton is going over trade rumors about the Blazers. Oh, wow. What a segue. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you saw that I, that I gave you a little space to, to give me props there. I love it. <laughs> so the Blazers have obviously been involved in a bunch of trade rumors, mostly surrounding that number seven pick in the draft. It's, uh, you know, conventional wisdom at this point is that the Blazers are going to trade that pick if they find a deal that they like. Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer reported earlier this week that the Blazers are really seeking a star player to play next mm-hmm. to Dame. And the guys he mentioned, he mentioned Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, Miles Bridges, and John Collins. Um, now, f- in fact, before we get into this, Justice, just your thoughts on uh, on those types of rumors, on those players, uh, before we get into ranking them, who we, who we most want Portland to try and acquire? Uh, yes, uh, we did speak about, I think, Zach Levine briefly. We did. I think that was, uh, what, three weeks ago now? Yeah. Um, I think at that time, uh, I don't think Bradley Beal was even in the mix. I don't think his name was even brought up. Right. Um, but if I had to choose one player just right off the top of my head, I'm definitely going with Bradley Beal um, at all those guys. I mean, we, we did have, you know, some lengthy conversations about what the Blazers need as far as size and uh, even scoring ability and, you know, kind of playing both ends of the floor. We kind of talked about how, you know, we'd like to have somebody who's maybe not the same height as Dame or, uh, you know, close to the same height as Dame and Ant, someone who really is a true, you know, two guard in that, you know, 6'5", 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 range. Right. Um, and I'm thinking Bradley Beal, I, I, I mean, we, bo- we both know he's he's a uh, electric scorer. Very, very consistent, and I honestly think even just his personality kind of fits in with uh, Dame and just even the Portland, uh, you know, kind of vibe. I mean, I mean, we'll see if you agree, but that's what I think right off the bat. Well, he and Dame actually have a unique relationship. Uh, there was an article in the Athletic last season. I can't remember who it was by, um, so I'm not going to name any names. But they've got you know they've got great writers over there at the Athletic. It might have been Fred Katz. Mm-hmm. Hello, Fred. Um, <laughs> but uh, this article was talking about how Bradley Beal is a couple, three years younger than Damian Lillard. Um, he wants to model his tenure in Washington after Dames in Portland. And by that, he was talking about how, despite the fact that, you know, John Wall is no longer with the Wizards, um, the Wizards really haven't, they don't have any great young prospects. They've only kind of just rebounded with the Kristaps Porzingis trade that some people liked more than others. Um, perhaps he gives you a little optimism more than they had before, um, but I'm not. I don't believe in uh, a Kristaps Porzingis, Bradley Beal team as a as anything like a contender. Obviously, um, but regardless, Brad Beal has has been of the mind that he wants to continue his career in Washington, just like Dame has in Portland, and they've talked about that, um, and so they've kind of developed a kinship over that. So, in that respect, I think it certainly makes sense. Um, they're they're of a similar mind, absolutely. My thing is is that. Beal is also a similar player, somewhat similar player to CJ McCollum. Uh, and, you know, you've heard me, you just obviously heard me lament this again and again and again on this podcast. Our listeners have too. But frankly, I am just done with the Blazers committing to a a backcourt of two, you know, 
fine-sized guards, I guess, if it was a Damian Lillard-Bradley Beal backcourt, but the but neither of those guys is a great defender at all. Bradley Beal seems to be on the downside, even though he's 28. He shot 30% from three last season, uh, played some of the worst defensive, defense of his career. And he was injured. Uh, he was fighting injuries, obviously. The season was cut short. I think he had a left wrist injury that he needs surgery on in uh, in February, but but for me, I'm just done. I'm just done with the Blazers committing to these high-scoring backcourts that don't give you much versatility on either end of the floor. Um, so Bradley Beal, as great a player as he is, if he could get back to that level he was at in, let's say, 2020-21, um, if he was healthy, uh, of course, if the Blazers could somehow acquire him, they would be a better team, but I don't think it raises their ceiling much from what they were with CJ and Dame uh, you know, for the last eight years. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, I think this has kind of be, been a consistent, um, not even topic, but just trend in our conversations over the last, yeah. I'd say, month or couple weeks. Is we we do know for a fact that Dame needs to play with somebody whose game is not similar uh, to CJ McCollum's. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be a change there because obviously you know they had some minor success over the last couple of years, but you know there was almost like a ceiling. There was a cap to how far they could go. Uh, playing together and so I think I mentioned it a while back yeah they're kind of in a weird place where there's a lot of optimism uh, there's you know a lot of room for potential but we have to be very not only careful but almost like uh, I don't even know what the word would be selective when it comes to you know who we get to pair with Dane because they could be great on their team independently where they're at right now similar to a Bradley Bill who obviously he's that guy in Washington right now mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it's how is he going to mesh with Dame and Ant and, you know, really the rest of the squad, but mainly uh, Damien, who, of course, is the, you know, star and, um, you know, the main uh, scorer for the Blazers right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we need somebody who's going to really flow and just um, ease into that system with him uh, because there has to be enough ball to go around. And exactly. we know with with Dame's style of play, you know, uh, half court. He's not really a you know transition type of guy like you might see in a you know Steph Curry or um, you know someone else who's just gonna run the court and just pull up. Um, he's gonna run those you know pick and rolls, and he's gonna take his time and play one on one with whoever's guarding him. And we need someone who kind of do the opposite, right? I mean, yep. c- kind of do not what Dame does, I guess. Someone who doesn't pound the ball into the floor. Right. And I'm, not, right. I'm, not, I'm not I'm not I'm not even trying to criticize Dame when I say that um, I actually do think he will work more off the ball. He'll work uh, work more to get off the ball more quickly for sure this season. That's something that Chauncey Billups has talked about from the time he was hired, um, that, he, that he doesn't want the ball to be pounded on the floor. He wants more passes. He wants more cuts. He wants more movement. He wants more motion. Um, and you're, you're already going to miss some of that with a guy like Damian Lillard, who even if he does commit a little bit to moving the ball more, to dribbling a little less, um, to moving without the ball more is what would be most important. He's still a pick and roll player. Like Damian Lillard is one of the most dynamic pick and roll players in NBA history. Um, so that's just, that's not going to go away. He's still going to run lots and lots and lots of pick and roll. And as we know, so is Anthony Simons. Um, so for me, uh, Beal is just not the right fit. Zach Levine, also not the right fit. And also like mm-hmm. um, Beal is, you know, I thought it was really interesting that O'Connor, uh, that Kevin O'Connor for the ringer mentioned Bradley Beal. And to be clear, he didn't report that conversations had taken place between Washington and Portland for Beal. He just, he basically just reported that he's heard from around the league that Beal could be a target for the Blazers. Um, I just have no idea how that gets done is the other thing. I have no idea how that right. I think Bradley Beal is going to opt out of his contract and then sign a five-year max if it's offered to him in Washington. 
Um, and if that doesn't happen, if he suddenly grows crossways with Tommy Shepard, because maybe the, uh, the Wizards GM, um, because maybe Washington doesn't offer him that five-year max. Maybe they try and lowball him from, from his perspective. Maybe he grows crossways with Washington. I just find it hard to believe um, that, again, he would try and he would want to come to the Blazers. And the Blazers wouldn't have the cap space to get that done or to sign him if he opted out and became a free agent. Um, and actually wanted to leave Washington without uh, really sacrificing some some core pieces. So it's really a non-starter, uh, Beal. And just while we're on non-starters, so was Miles Bridges to me. That was another one. Was kind of, I mean, I would love Miles Bridges in Portland. I would love it. He's 23, I think. He's he's yeah, young guy. Young guy, obviously improving, can play both the three and the four. Really got better um, as a as a ball in hand creator this season. Um, as a shooter, as a driver, um, he's a fairly good defender. He's not a game changer on that end, but he's certainly not going to kill you. Um, and we all know what he can do around the rim. Obviously, he's one of the most explosive finishers we've ever seen. Uh, but he's also a, he's also a restricted free agent. He's already said that he wants to be back in Charlotte, and restricted free agency means that if, say, Miles Bridges wanted to sign an offer sheet in Portland, then Charlotte could just match it. Um, and, and, I, and I assume they will. They don't want to take a step back uh, with Lamella Ball. And we all know that Michael Jordan wants to make the playoffs every single year. And um, <laughs> even, even, even at the expense of long-term progress some of the time. Um, right. And letting Miles Bridges walk, that just, it wouldn't accomplish that. Yeah. No, I don't think that happens. And I don't know about you, but this past week, I feel like every day there's been a different headline with a different player saying, Oh, they might be interested in going to Portland or yeah. this, this sort of Blazers are going after. And at this point, I'm like, you know what? I think the whole summer is just going to be like this because, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of news coming out of Rip City right now outside of front office changes and additions and hirings. You know, player wise, there's not a whole lot going on. Um, everybody's mm-hmm. on vacation or they're, you know, back home or, you know, just, just hanging around Portland. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I think they're just trying to keep the rumor mill going. But at a certain point. You know, some of these things, they're just kind of, you know, they're out of whack. They don't really make a whole lot of sense. And even if they did, like you said, how can they, how is that going to happen financially? Right. Um, what are we going to have to give up? What is the other team going to have to give up uh, for, for us to get one of those prime players? So I think the list is a lot shorter than, you know, Twitter and social media and the internets uh, would like it to be. Yeah. Um, but it's just going to be one of those summers, like I always say, you know, I'm always I'm very optimistic about what the Blazers can do, especially going into the next season uh, with a healthy Dame, uh, with Dame and Ants both kind of getting full time minutes. Um, but of course, yeah, we we got to add at least one more star um, into the mix with Dame because you know he, he could try as hard as he can, but I think we both agree he can't can't do it on his own at this point. No, absolutely not. And I, I, I will say this. I think these you know, rumors with, in, in trades and free agency for the Blazers, they'll persist for probably the next six weeks um, you know, through the first couple of weeks of free agency. But uh, the draft is June 23rd, and league rules prevent, for, prevent the Blazers from trading that number seven overall pick until, until the draft has actually commenced um, due, to, due to the step-in rule because the Blazers owe a future first-round pick. So we, we could potentially have some reporting on draft night that the Blazers are selecting a player at number seven for another team. Um, if that makes sense, we could, we could potentially get that news, 
Um, and, then, and then we may not. You know, the Blazers have also brought in, I think, three different prospects this week, and then they have another workout, another draft workout tomorrow. They've already brought in Jalen Duran, center from Memphis. Today they had A.J. Griffin, a wing from Duke, and then Dyson Daniels, that's right, the guard from G League Ignite. He was in town, I believe, last week or Monday. So they're certainly they're certainly doing their due diligence, uh, the front office, on these draft prospects. Um, they're having a mystery a mystery player in for tomorrow. I'm hoping it's Jeremy Sohan. Um, players or listeners of this podcast certainly won't be surprised to hear that. I'd also love if it was Shaden Sharp. Um, they won't be surprised to hear that either. But yeah, there is a chance that the Blazers could make a draft night trade. Um, absolutely. Even if uh, it couldn't be officially consummated uh, for, for another week or so. And then and then also uh, their plans for the offseason will kind of be given away um, given what they do with Josh, the guarantee date on Josh Hart's contract, which I believe is June 25th. If the Blazers pick him up, um, pick that option up, which I'm fully expecting they do. Uh, it's just $12 million. Josh Hart is a very, very, very good player on that number. I think he could play in the NBA Finals right now. I'm not saying he would be some type of cog out there, but I think he could come off the bench for either one of these teams and be effective. Um, he's certainly the type of guy the Blazers want to pick up Pick up uh, the option on his contract. And if they do that, they're very, very likely not going to operate as a cap space team this season. So we will be getting at least some news um, in the next couple weeks weeks, um, or not news, we'll be getting some inkling of what the Blazers might be doing. So you won't have to be uh, twiddling your thumbs for too long, is what I'm trying to say, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm glad, uh, because it's been pretty quiet on the uh, Blazers front, uh, and as far as anything Blazers related, like I said, a lot of front office changes and moves was, you know, you can always assume will happen during the off season as, you know, people get promotions and all mm-hmm. types of stuff like that, but uh yeah, it'll be nice to actually see something legit, something that's, you know, real news and not just the rumor mill, not just, you know, things that are kind of being passed around on social media. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I, I think I mentioned this a few episodes back. I'm really hoping to see how involved uh, Dame is in the process of trying to, you know, get guys to come and play with him in Portland. Um, mm-hmm. I think if if he could have his choice. That would make it a little bit easier uh, of those of the players that are available out there, because I think even he recognizes and knows uh, what he's going to need to be successful. Um, I think he knows whatever that missing piece is. As a matter of fact, we've seen Dame uh, be very vocal on social media in the last uh, month or so as more current NBA players make uh, appearances on ESPN and NBA on TNT and um, even Draymond, Draymond Green as he kind of you know, does podcasting part-time. Right, while to the, he's, right, right to the studio after finals games. That's- right, exactly, as he's playing in the NBA Finals. So uh, Dame has sent a few tweets out and, you know, made a few uh, posts on other social media platforms. And so it's nice to see him vocal, um, but I'm hoping that that also means that he's going to be or have that same energy when it comes to reaching out to uh, trying to get guys to come to Portland. Yeah, he certainly had that energy with uh, pre-draft workouts. I think he's been at every single one. I think he, I even saw a video of him participating in the pre-draft workout um, just kind of as a stand-in. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like they were playing one-on-one or anything uh, with A.J. Griffin today. So that okay. certainly shows that Dame is uh, is bought into what the Blazers are doing, not that there was any doubt um, that, that he's not. But uh, it kind of just shows that, again, he's – He's, he's in on this plan, even though this plan is still very much in its infancy. And even Dane, who knows far more about it than I do, far more about it than you do, far more about it than pretty much anyone, um, even though he has no idea what's going on either. 
let's be honest. Um, you mentioned there have been so many rumors. It seems like there's a different name that pops up with the Blazers every day. And some of this reporting, frankly, has been pretty thin. I'm, I'm surprised it's been put out there. Um, but I wish one one specific player had been mentioned, one who popped up in trade rumors. Do you know who I'm, you know who I'm thinking of? Uh, I do not, but I'm looking forward to hearing what you got to say. <laughs> You've heard me say it before, and so have our listeners. Rudy Gobert. Ah. Why Why aren't the Blazers being mentioned as a team who could potentially be interested in Rudy Gobert? Uh, you know, I, we, we know what's going on with the Jazz right now. Quinn Snyder, Quinn Snyder resigned. Um, they're, that's they're, right. They're clearly in a you know in a in a much different mode than they were these last couple of years. Um, and, and apparently, reporting is that they are taking trade calls on Rudy Gobert right now. Um, and you've heard me mention it before on the pod, Justice. I just can't think of another player in the league, or I should say, defender in the league, um, better suited to helping Damian Lillard and uh, Anthony Simons compensate for their weaknesses on that end than Rudy Gobert. The Blazers aren't going to be a switch team, a heavy switch team with two, six, three guards out there, just like they weren't with Damon CJ. Um, they're not going to be that way with Damon and, um, which again is why you play more of a traditional scheme and just funnel everything right to Rudy Gobert, just like the Jazz did for so many years. Um, and it's why he's, you see one three defensive player of the year awards or four? Oh, too many. Too many, too many. Exactly. I mean, it's actually. I mean, a lot like Dwight Howard, what we were talking about earlier. Uh, he right. pretty much much functions that way defensively, and then mm-hmm. offensively, he actually kind of plays a similar role, but just in a uh, you know to a lesser impact, just because he's not as skilled or explosive um, or as or strong as a young Dwight Howard was for sure. But I would just love Rudy Gobert. Um, Rudy Gobert in Portland. If the Blazers aren't going to tank, if tank, if the Blazers aren't going to trade Dame, if they are going to really try and win right now and really try and level back up in the Western Conference as much as they can to maximize Dame's prime, I think Rudy Gobert is the, is the guy you target right now, and he just happens to be available. Like I think, like I think he's more available than Zach Levine, for instance. More available, yeah, definitely. Than people, you know, and definitely a better fit as well. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I wish that would come. I, uh, I, I, want to, uh, I want to reiterate, be perfectly clear here. I am not reporting at all that the Blazers um, have had talks with the Jazz or have interest in Rudy Gobert or anything like that. I'm just some guy saying that, my God, would the Blazers be a lot better if they traded for Rudy Gobert and they potentially have the ballast to get it done. We still don't know uh, what the bidding war uh, for Rudy Gobert is going to end up being, and you know, number seven and, and some flotsam. You know, I think uh, I think could potentially interest the Jets. Um, and so, I, I really think it's something that Joe Cronin should uh, should consider. And I've again been disheartened to hear that the Blazers haven't been mentioned as one of these six, seven, eight teams who's making calls to the Jazz on Rudy. You know what? Out of all the players that have kind of been involved in the rumor mill and have kind of the names have been tossed around and. You know, Blazers Nation and Rip City, everybody's kind of get excited over all these things that <laughs> really are just kind of fantasies, I think, at this point. Uh, the Rudy Gobert one, though, I, I, I'll take that one to the bank. I mean, out, out of everybody that we've mentioned, you know, we've had a few lists here that we've kind of just, you know, looked up and down to see, okay, who's going to be the best fit for Dame? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Rudy Gobert is a perfect fit. Perfect um, fit. And I think that's exactly what we need now. My only question in my mind is, okay, if we get Rudy, uh, what does that leave Nurk? Uh, it could potentially be a sign and trade uh, with Nurk because okay. Nurk's a free agent. Um, there's a lot of logistics to that, of course. I mean, the, the Blazers would very likely let Nurk walk um, or, or or initiate a sign and trade a trade with another team if they were somehow able to acquire Gobert. 
Um, and, you know, as close as Damon Nurk are, as much as uh, the team has told Nurk that he was going to be back, I assume that's happened. Joe Cronin has been talking publicly about Nurk coming back. Um, you know, you kind of have to ruffle those feathers sometimes if you really, if you really, really want to level up in the Western Conference. Um, and Rudy Gobert is just a far, far, far more dynamic uh, defender than uh, than Yusuf Nurkic, who's you know, I'm, Nurkic is I think he's actually an underrated defender. He did, he fared better in Chauncey Billups' scheme, uh, you know, playing up to touch, sometimes even playing, trapping the ball, getting two on the ball, and then re- recovering back to the paint. He did better in that role than I thought he would. Um, I think he's mm-hmm. certainly, I certainly think he's best suited for drop um but regardless he's a he's a strong defender and um you know i'd say he's average offensively he has some he has some qualities that you like especially as a passer um as a as a role man in, in short roles he can be kind of a kind of an effective playmaker but rudy gobert defensively it's just a whole nother world um, he's not only you know the best rim protector in the nba he's one of the best switch guys in the nba at least by the numbers he's gotten so much better there over the last couple of years. And then offensively, he's a great screen setter. It's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's become stereotype now how often jazz announcers talk about screen assists. That's not something I necessarily buy into all that much, but screening really, really does matter. We see it with Nurk. Nurk is also a great screener, but what Nurk doesn't have that Rudy does have is he's an exceptional vertical threat um, in, in pick and roll. Dame, mm-hmm. is, Dame has never had a, a lob man before, um, and, and Rudy Gobert is one of the best in the NBA. He's up there leading the league in dunks every year, um, you know, shooting 70% from the field, that type of thing. And, you know, the Blazers could really, really use that dynamic to, to further open up the floor. And I'd just love to see what Dame looks like with a real lob threat, too. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. And to me, uh, that would be similar to what we saw with the Clippers years ago um, with the Lob City situation, of course. Uh, uh, Rudy Gobert has a lot more length than uh, Blake Griffin, um, but same, you know, not vertical ability, obviously, but that vertical factor where you know coming off the pick. What, uh, what was that? Yeah, sorry. I mean, you, you got to be accounted for as the role man. Yeah, uh, you know, like that that just sucks in the defense. A guy like Rudy Gobert, you know, sprinting down the lane waiting for a lob that just really, really opens up the floor. Yeah, exactly. And I was even going to say, even coming off a of pick and roll, having that option to either throw it up to him yep. or Dame shooting a little mid-range jumper or, you know, hitting somebody for a corner three or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it just opens your options up. And like you said, we haven't seen Dame have that type of option unless it was an all-star game. So yeah. it would be nice for that to be his reality on a regular night-in, night-out basis. Um, and I think would even, you know, take some of the load off of his off of his shoulders, uh, mm-hmm. as far as you know, having to pound the ball, uh, you know, a- around the arc uh, for however long he does it usually. So um, I think that would help. I think that would take the, a lot of the load off him. And the, and even if you think about it, that dynamic would work great uh, with Ant because yep. him and Dame have similar games. Um, you know, I, I think we both assume they're most likely going to start um, this season and be the same starting lineup. So mm-hmm. if they both have that option, I mean, why not? I totally, I totally agree with you. That's a that, that's another thing is that Rudy is is also a great fit for Ant, and Ant has also not played with the role man. Um, I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to beat this anymore because again, it just hasn't been reported. There have been no rumors about Rudy Gobert to the Blazers. Um, you know, fingers crossed they come. Um, mm-hmm. Before we move on to some non Blazers talk, any more uh, anything else about trade rumors, uh, trade targets? You you want to get off your chest here? <laughs> All I know is I'm pretty sure uh, for the rest of this week and maybe even the rest of this month, we're going to hear more and more players get added into that uh, circle of rumors. And, you know, Blazer fans, don't get too excited because 
I feel like nothing's concrete right now, and we're going to hear a whole lot uh, until something really happens. So just, you know, everybody hold your horses. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Justice. All right, let's get to some non-Blazers talk. Obviously, we're right in the midst of the NBA Finals. The Boston Celtics beat the Golden State Warriors last night 116-100 to take a 2-1 lead in this awesome series. What did you think of Game 3? Uh, I think the Celtics, obviously, we know they were going to have some great uh, home court advantage there playing in the Boston Garden. Um, we know how rabid that Boston Celtics fan base is. Um, so what happened is exactly what I thought was going to happen. And I think it'll happen again. Uh, at this point, to me, I think that the, the, the Celtics, they're taking advantage of all of uh, the uh, Warriors' weaknesses right now. And I don't know if it's the youth or uh, even just the grit, maybe. Uh, Draymond has always been kind of the backbone, kind of that enforcer uh, for, the, uh, for the Warriors. But to me, it, it almost seems like the Celtics have a few of those guys as well. Obviously, they have oh, yeah. you know defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart. Um, and I think even he could be more effective because he kind of gets to run around the floor more than Draymond does mm-hmm. uh, down there in the paint and in the key. Um, so, yeah, I think the – without jumping too far ahead, I think the Celtics have a, a great chance of winning game four and possibly you know winning the series you know when it really comes down to it. Now, we talked a few weeks ago. It must have been six weeks ago or something now. Do I remember right that you picked Boston to win the title like during the first round of the playoffs? You know what's funny is I, I hope what you're saying is correct because I honestly don't remember, and I don't know if that's age or if I just need to you know, uh, uh, take it easy on the uh, frescas. But uh, I think I'm pretty sure I said something like that. I think I said uh, I saw the Celtics going a long way. Um, and I think I said the Warriors for sure are going to the final. So I think I might have been right about my finals prediction, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm not too positive on if I said the Celtics would would win it all. That's the only thing I'm you know I'm I'm missing right now. Well, I think you're doing pretty well regardless. And I picked Boston in this series. I picked them in six. Um, to me, it was just their size and athleticism and their ability to play multiple ways defensively. I just thought that would really frustrate Golden State. And we actually saw it last night. This was really the first time where Boston really, uh, you know, really just uh, put its stamp on the game, if you will, in terms of just physically. Uh, mm-hmm. The Warriors just looked so small and so unathletic and so old, uh, frankly, <laughs> like in comparison to the Celtics. And um, especially once it was just driving me crazy, Boston started out that game with both Al Horford and Rob Williams playing drop coverage on Steph Curry and you know, really, really putting the onus on Marcus Smart. Um, and then eventually Derek White, when he came in early to get over the top of screens on Steph, just God, they're just playing with fire doing that. Steph wasn't hot early, but then, you know, believe it or not, once he was getting open look after open look, they weren't going in um, early. And then he kind of got hot in the second quarter. And then the third quarter absolutely exploded, just really, really exploiting Al Horford specifically in drop coverage. He just couldn't get high enough uh, up on that screen. And it was especially interesting to me because we saw Horford kind of get roasted by Steph um, in ISO switches sometimes. Um, Mm Mm-hmm in games one and two. Um, so clearly Ime Udoka went with a completely different strategy last night. Boston wasn't even switching Al, Al Horford or Rob Williams, uh, their bigs, onto, onto Steph, onto Clay, away from the ball. Um, onto Jordan Poole as well. So it wasn't it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just in pick and roll. But then once Boston finally went away from that after Steph exploded and they had that insane seven-point possession, um, I'm not sure I'd ever seen anything like that. Um, 
Steph got the Steph got the four point play plus the plus the flagrant on Horford and then Otto Porter mm-hmm. ridiculous twenty eight footer from the right wing and all of a sudden whoa the <laughs> the Warriors had a seven point possession and it was a two point game uh, they even took the lead after that but um, then and then in the fourth quarter even as Steph was still hot he was still having success uh, Ime went to Rob Williams for Al Horford had Rob Williams contest a little farther up the floor and pick and roll and he's just so long he's such a quick jumper he was really affecting mm-hmm. Steph's uh, you know Steph's Steph's pull up shot making in a way that Al Horford wasn't was or wasn't and that was uh, and that was really the the tide that turned the game for me is just the the impact that Rob Williams made not only as a pick and roll defender late but just Throughout the entire game, I just thought he was fantastic, um, and it really speaks you know, again the, the size, the size, and athleticism that we're talking about. That's personified most by Rob Williams. And I was just going to say, I love that you mentioned Rob Williams because that's another example of when you have a big guy, especially a young guy who has that vertical ability, yep. and he stays down there in the key, stays down there in the post. It's so easy to get that uh, uh, that attention, that defensive attention in the key to draw onto. Whoever that star player is in the Celtics uh, world, it would be Tatum or Brown. They drive or get to the uh, to the elbow, get the defense, and now you got Rob Williams to throw it up to him, mm-hmm. and that's an easy two points. So I could just imagine Dame and Ant being able to have that ability with somebody uh, like a Rudy Gobert. I mean, you see, it's almost a game changer. I could only imagine if if uh, a Draymond was able to do the same things that Rob Williams did. Um, you know, there might the, the series might be tied up already, or it might you know what I mean? It, it might go a different way. Yeah. Um, obviously, Draymond. I think uh, Rob, Robert Williams has a uh, a few inches uh, in height on him, mm-hmm. um, but still, you know that vertical ability to just be be able to jump by the rim and tip it in, or you know throw it down. You know that that's that's easy offense right there. I mean, just even it wouldn't even have to be Draymond who needed to be that explosive. Just if if Kevon Looney could jump at all. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Loon's not especially tall. He's six nine, but I think he's got a seven three wingspan. But you know, at this point, after so many uh, so many surgeries, I believe on his knees, and that was even before his career in the NBA really took off. He just mm-hmm. he just can't really. He has no lift anymore, and he's right. the, he's the only he's the only you know traditional big that Golden State plays. Draymond's obviously a unicorn in a certain sense. He defies positions. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it would just it would just really really open up the floor uh, for the Warriors if they had more explosive finishers, um, especially because as Steph Curry gets hotter and hotter, we saw I mentioned it earlier we saw Rob Williams step out farther. We saw him sometimes even get off the floor to contest a shot, and then Steph would hit the roller, and the Warriors would have that four on three situation. But the problem is Draymond Green when he catches the ball in the short rolls, he's not a finisher. Um, you know he's he's better finishing this season. And that's been really really important for Golden State. Um, but against Boston's length, um, against their activity, against their athleticism, against their smarts on the back line, Draymond has just been completely ineffective as a finisher. Um, and the same goes for most of the Warriors, frankly. And it's it's not surprising just because they don't have the length, they don't have the athletic pop um, that most teams in the NBA do um, from the from the four and the five positions. Um, I, I love Gary Payton II, but when Gary Payton II is your is your best role man, is you know is your best uh, is your best short role man, is your best guy making decisions um, in that four on three situation, and also being able to finish, that's a problem um, because yeah. he's not a shooter and he brings his own challenges uh, offensively, even even before the elbow thing, even before his left elbow was injured. So um, yeah, that that vertical threat um, certainly. 
the Blazers could use it and uh, the Warriors could use it too. You mentioned Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I just thought they were fantastic last night. Oh man, they just get better. Yeah, they they really they really really do. What I love most is is just how patient yet aggressive they were as drivers, and just how uh, really I guess insistent they were as drivers as well. Like you you saw times where. Was even a, there was even one possession where Draymond Green blew up a dribble handoff for Jalen Brown, and Jalen was able to get the ball then, but he took two or three steps out um, and then and then attacked Draymond um, and kind of got his shoulder, kind of got Draymond's shoulder, and then slithered past him with a Eurostep floater. Um, and then you also saw both Brown and Tatum creasing the paint, but getting off the ball really, really early, passing, making early passes uh, to surprise Golden State's defense and really get that churn going offensively and making Golden State move. Um, you know, neither of them are great playmakers at this point. Obviously, Tatum's better than Brown, um, but Man, if they're going to pass the ball this way and they're going to look this controlled on the drive, and you know, we especially saw Tatum um, on the drive in the second half. He was just fantastic. He's really extending and finishing, and, uh, and really driving with poise and, and control in ways that in ways that we didn't see in the first two games. So, if that continues, I, I really don't see Golden State uh, making up this two-one deficit. Yeah, and you know, I I'm really not rooting for either team. I just kind of wanted to yeah. see a good series. Um, but I will say it will be interesting to see Boston win the finals this year because my, my question in my, in my mind would be what's next for the Warriors? Uh, because as we know, this core, they've won so many times together. They've only really played with each other uh, together since they've been drafted and been in the league. Uh, what happens uh, if the Warriors don't win? <laughs> what happens to this roster? Uh, you know, I, I'm sure the young guys will be there, but you know what? What changes will need to be made uh, to this team that's really been, I mean, stellar since they all kind of came into their own for the most part? Yeah, and I think you know, obviously, there's a <laughs> there's a long way to go in the series, as you said. It wouldn't surprise right. me at all if Golden State came back and won, even though I think Boston figured some stuff out last night, and then I picked them at the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. But say the Warriors go on to lose this series, I don't think much would change for them next season. Uh, they like all all of their core guys are under contract, and then you, you mentioned the young guys, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody. Maybe they step into bigger roles. Maybe they step into step into roles vacated by Andre Iguodala, uh, vacated by Otto Porter potentially, um, even even vacated sure. by Gary Payton, who may who may get a significant raise on the open market this season. And the Warriors' tax bill is obviously going to be huge. Um, so I think they they really just run it back uh, with really the same core of guys, and of course seek one or two upgrades perhaps uh, via trade or free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you look at this Warriors team perhaps next season, whether or not they win the title, and man, I'm excited about what Jonathan Kaminga is becoming. I'm excited about what Moses Moody is becoming. The real question is, are we excited about what James Wiseman is becoming? Um, and right. I mean, it, you laugh. And it, and it, yeah, it's, I did. I did. And at this point, we can't be excited about it. Right. We haven't seen mm-hmm. him play uh, this season, obviously. And then last season, he just looked like a complete deer in the headlights. He's obviously got great physical tools, but I just mm-hmm. couldn't imagine him. Like, is it, I mean, we talked about how much the Warriors need that uh, that that's that vertical spacing threat. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. he would provide that at seven feet. He's a great leaper, really long arms, um, dunks everything around the rim. Um but man, I just don't think he has the processing speed or the understanding to play at this level. Um, and you know, it certainly didn't help that he had to sit this entire season out. Yeah, no, that didn't help at all. Um, 
you know, I don't want to get into the whole bus conversation yet. We can save that for another day. Oh we don't have enough topics. <laughs> I, I said save it for another day. Let's save it. Let's save it. But the one name you didn't say that to me has been the most impressive, at least out of the young guys that are, you know, only in year one, two, or three in the league, uh, the pool party, man, Jordan Poole. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, he's he was obviously great in the first three rounds of the playoffs. I, he's been exposed defensively. Uh, yeah, in, defensively. For sure. True. For sure. I agree. He's a, he's a traffic gun out there. <laughs> wow. Okay, a Patrick Beverly, uh, an ode to Patrick Beverly. <laughs> I, I get it. Um, I mean, you're you're totally right, though. I mean, obviously, Jordan Poole really factors in uh, to the Warriors' future too. Their immediate future, like he's not done getting better, and some of that improvement has to come on defense because he's really been one of the most flammable defenders um, throughout the postseason. I would say he and John Morant um, really were just sure. mercilessly targeted, um, and and you, and you even see it. Uh, the Warriors were have been willingly switching both Poole and Steph on to Jason Tatum, on to Jalen Brown in this series, really until the second half last night. Um, their early fourth quarter, I believe they uh, they started switching Steph onto Tatum, but then having Andrew Wiggins come back and double the ball and have Steph run back and uh, as they as they'd rematch up behind the play, so they were kind of switched up a late switch double there and getting Wiggins back on the ball. Um, but um, man, Jordan, yeah, Jordan Poole. As much as I like his game, he's so dynamic off the ball or with the ball in his hands. He's just an absolute blur. He's obviously an incredible shot maker. We saw that ridiculous, uh, you know, 40, right. 45 footer or whatever at the, oh um, my gosh. In, in game two, he had like little in and out dribble and then just set his man up shooting it like a normal jumper from 45 feet. It was absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, he has to get better defensively, but what would help the Warriors, um, of course, is if, you know, we, we mentioned guys like Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, James Wiseman. If they were able to turn their athleticism, their length, their youth into some production on both ends of the floor, then all of a sudden this this team could look much more dynamic next season. Um, unfortunately, I think the problem is is that you know Steph and Clay and Draymond they are just on such a different timeline than those guys. You know, Wiseman and Kuminga and Moody they're probably going to be the type of players who you're comfortable playing in the playoffs and like key roles, uh, they're going to reach that level in probably three or four years. And by that time, Steph Curry is going to be 37. Um, So your hope is that, you know, the old heads, and they're they're obviously doing it now, um, they're still good enough to lead the Warriors to a title. And then the young guys can kind of come up behind them and give them the, uh, you know, the supplementary offense and defense they need. Uh, But yeah, I, you know, you mentioned just where do the Warriors go from here if they lose this series. I'm actually pretty confident in their future. Yeah, no, same, same. I think they'll be very successful making deep playoff runs for the next couple years. Last note for me on the Warriors, uh, I really enjoy seeing uh, Andre Iguodala, a.k.a. Iggy, and playing this mentor role for the young guys. Uh, We saw him get very uh, passionate and emotional as he was you know, getting the attention of, uh, who was that? Uh, Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in, in, uh, game three. And, you know, I would love to see him in kind of a role like, uh, how Udonis Haslam has been for the Miami heat where, mm. you know, he's just the, the older guy on the bench and he has all this, you know, uh, experience and, 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 and wisdom and a, and a perspective that maybe some of the young guys don't have. And I really enjoyed seeing that. I enjoyed seeing him not, uh, you know, really <laughs> breaking a sweat, but more, uh, you know, in his full warm-ups all the way into the third and fourth quarter and, uh, you know, dropping some game on the young guys. So I think that'll be uh, great for them in the, in the long run. 
I watched that clip like four or five different times to try and see what he was talking about. I only saw it today, so I didn't see it in context of the game, and I didn't go back to the film to like see where it was uh, right. in the course of action. But man, I just really wanted to know what they were talking about because <laughs> um, you're, you're so right. I mean, Andre is you know, one of the smartest players we have in the NBA, mm-hmm. um, and the Warriors would, could, could really benefit from him staying around uh, the next two or three years, even if he's not going to play. Um, but you know, something tells me that if he's, uh, if he's going to transition into that role, he'd probably just hang it up and, you know, uh, commit more time to all of his Silicon Valley ventures and this, this new tech stuff that he seems to be into, which is, uh, not my cup of tea, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's Andre Iguodala's. Um, do you have anything else we want to discuss here? You, you know, I don't think so. And like we talked about earlier, you know, we are kind of just simpletons. We're just basketball heads. <laughs> We're just guys who love the game, and uh, you know, basketball is all we all we know and love. So you know that it is what it is. You no, know, it's it's kind of seemed like it during the playoffs. It's just been so awesome. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, you know, let's just hope this series goes seven. Because again, I just have no idea what I'm going to do when the playoffs are over. I suppose talk with you about uh, about where the Blazers are going to go, and we'll be talking. We'll be talking even more about trade targets and draft pro- draft prospects and free agent rumors, and whether or not the the Blazers are going to guarantee Josh Hart, what they're going to give Ants, are they going to keep Nurk, all that type of stuff. Yep, I guess uh, as you can say, we'll be talking trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Justice, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We certainly miss you these last two or three weeks. Um, before we get out of here, you know what I'm going to say? Uh, leave a review on the show. We're favorite podcast, right. favorite podcast player, whatever it is, Apple, Spotify. I think those are like the only two I can mention. I, I can name right now. Um, leave us a, leave us a review, whatever you whatever you want to say. Five stars, one stars, three. Um, we will absolutely take them. And Justice, where can everyone follow your work? Yes, as always, you can find me in social media land on the internet at Justice, that's J-U-S-T-U-S, Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S-T-V. So that's at Justice Rogers TV on Twitter, Instagram, uh, most active on Twitter. You can see me on there cracking jokes. Uh, slandering professional athletes. Um, this is what I do for a living, and I enjoy it. Um, of course, make sure to look out for uh, Blazers Nation on, on Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, and then, you know, Jack's going to tell you where you can find him. That's right. I'm at Armstrong Winter on Twitter, and you can follow all my Blazers and NBA work at Clutch Points and Justice. Until next week, uh, we will talk to you then. That's right. We're out of here. All right, man. See ya. All right.